Here we go. What is what is happening right now, Andres? Welcome to the exciting return of the Chasing the Dragon Gaming Podcast. We are l- not live at all from our hotel room in Essen. Uh, Essen Spiel 2016. Uh, today is, is Thursday. It's the end of the first day. We have eaten. We've retired back to our hotel rooms with some beer, and we're about to play some games. But before we do so, we thought we'd do a little wrap-up of what the hell we did in Salter Day. My name's Ryan. So I'm Yuval. Uh, and I'm Andres. So we got here around noon or so. Uh, we went head over to the fair. Yeah, went directly to the fair. Try to get in as try to basically push our way into the into the fair as fast as possible. Went into hall three, like the biggest one with all the major publishers and the major advertising. And we immediately were just like shell shot, going like, "Oh my god, we're here!" And we quickly realized, "Oh my god, we have no euros." <laughs> Let me ask you one question to start off. We've all been here at least. Uh, this is this is my third year. This is Andres' third year. Uh, Johan, you've been here uh, a couple five times. Yeah, yeah, five times. So here's my question: Is the magic gone? No, I wouldn't say so. It's like uh, every time you get into the big hall and you see all the games, you see all the people, you kind of become like a kid again, and uh, and you just want to race and and. And especially you want to find that thing that you're looking for that you've been waiting for for a couple of weeks. So uh, this year, even before we got there, Andres uh, had seen that the Phil Eklund games were kind of running out. And so we tried to race to the Phil Eklund games before we realized, as Andres said, that we were all out of Euros. So we have to race out again, get some money, and then get back in again. So uh, yeah, we made it. Is the magic gone for you this year, third year? No, not at all. Uh, I, I think it's still just as exciting to like walk into the hall and see all the um, you know the enthusiasm and the interest people have for this hobby, and to see how everyone is really devoted to this hobby. Uh, that is not gone whatsoever. I'd say too the magic is is not gone for me either, but I'm not as overwhelmed. I think that's the difference, because like you were saying, it it can be this overwhelming experience, but once you've been there a few years, it's it's a bit more manageable because you have these expectations. I, I think it's, it's certainly bigger this year and there's more, there is an extra room that they have now. There's seems, I mean, it's Thursday, so it's not as crowded as it will be tomorrow and on Saturday. I think technically it's like two extra rooms because last year one room was devoted entirely to Catan. Like they had one big Catan room. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this year they, that that room that was once devoted to Catan is now you know you know more vendors, more publishers, more distribution, more different things going on, as well as then there's even a, a new additional room. So it's more or less like two free rooms this year, as opposed to like you know one. So let's go into some some of the games, some some of the things that you um, let let's say, Johan, what was what was the game? What were the games that you were? dying to check out you mentioned phil eklund but um specifically maybe did you have anything in mind there and what were some of the other games yeah well the phil eklund game i was interested in was the uh, uh pax renaissance and uh we got a copy of it so hopefully we'll at least get be able to look at it and the game of the year that i was really really looking forward to and which i have purchased now is the one called they survive budapest uh it's about 1956 1956 <laughs> right it's about the rebellion in in hungary in 1956 where people tried to uh rise up against the communists but were put down and so basically uh, one player plays the soviet uh, uh soviet supported government trying to quench the uh, rebellion and 
three, one to three other players play the uh, the uh, the uprising and and uh, how they try to uh, uh, spread both their uh, ideas, but I think also like troops and and stuff. So it seems like a uh, a cool historical game, which uh, hopefully will live up to my expectations of it. I also bought that uh, Days of Iron Budapest, nineteen fifty six, and for me that harkens back to two years ago when I was super excited about Virzen das Volk, and it seems thematically there's a lot of similarities, but it looks like the games themselves are going to be very very different, but for some reason they have a very similar feel to me, and so. I'm pretty excited. Maybe the art is a bit reminiscent of of Virzen das Volk, a bit. Um, maybe it's mostly the theme that is, but so this is also kind of cooperative, yeah. um, you know, team team based cooperative. Andres, what were the games that you were most excited? To be honest, this year I wasn't excited by any one game at all. I remember going through the geek list uh, about like maybe a month ago when there was only like 25 entries and thinking to myself, okay, this year nothing really struck out me as like solid gold or oh, I had, this is going to be a big success or I'm really interested in this in general. And then uh, even up looking back at the going back at the list, the big Eric Martin geek list and looking at it when it's like 31 pages now, still I was like, ah, nah, this year is just there's there's some games that I might want to check out or see, but nothing at all that I think that to myself that like, oh, I'm so stoked and excited about this one. And, um, yeah, but I more or less was just happy to go around and see everything else that's kind of being that's kind of going on. Now, that being said, uh, late in the day, I did notice that I actually did have a copy of Arkham Horror, the adventure card game, uh, or is it just called Arkham Horror, the card game? I don't know. And then uh, Rune Wars, the miniatures game uh, for actual demo. And after that, I'm like, OK, cool. Two games I'm actually legitimately enthusiastic about playing. It was great, and you kind of stumbled on those, so it was a bit of a surprise. Absolutely, I mean, like it wasn't on the geek list, and I don't. And a um, uh, little bit of uh, backstory here: I work in retail, and uh, on Tuesday of this week, uh, U1 and I were invited to Copenhagen for like a retail day uh, with our distributor Enigma, and they're also owned by Asmodee, just like Fantasy Flight. And you know, we're basically asking around, "Hey, do you know what's being going on with like Fantasy Flight or Asmodee at Essen?" And most people were just like, "Oh, I don't know, not sure." And I specifically remember asking about um, uh, what's it called. Both of those two games, Arkham Horror and Rune Wars. And with Rune Wars, they're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be there. And with Arkham Horror, they're like, no, I don't even think there's like a demo copy available other than like the printout copy they had at Essen. But lo and behold, they were both there. It was exciting. Ryan, what about some games you were really interested in? Well, like I said, Days of Ire, Budapest 1956 was was my main game. But uh, there there's several. I, see, Andres, you and I are a little different. And uh, I came up with this list. Only a little. <laughs> I came up with this list of about 30 games. And I ordered them by hall and even arranged them by order of booths in the hall so, so that I could always find it. And it actually really helped because I always know where all these games are and it's super easy to find them. And it wasn't like I was specifically going around looking for each of these games. I actually was like, oh, we happen to be in hall two. And I was like, oh, Hall 2, I'll just look and see what games I happen to have on my list for Hall 2. And I was like, oh, I want to check out this game. So over near that, because I know this is booth, this, 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 and this booth, D, whatever. And um, the couple games besides uh, Days of Iron that I'm excited about, I, I did buy Puck's Renaissance, the Phil Eklund game. Um, I'm also really interested in this game called Barcelona, the Rose of Fire. And... It's about uh, Barcelona in the late 19th century. Um, you're battling between 
um, so you're trying to, I don't know, I'm, I'm reading this thing here. It's, uh, you're competing for social prestige and personal wealth while trying to avoid the revolution that is spreading through the city. <laughs> and it sounds, what? Uh, the bottle cap, uh, the bottle opener for a second. I thought it said fucking man. That's fucking man. Oh, okay. Edit that out, please. <laughs> I'm not going to edit anything. This, <laughs> otherwise, it's never going to be made. Um, so <clears throat> the game sounds like it could be really exciting. We looked at it and the, the art and the whole design looked really fascinating, I thought. But then again, I think I want to play it first to, to demo it. It looks like, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit ambiguous to me exactly how it plays. And it's, it says two to four players. Um, yeah, but I mean, the theme is pretty interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I'm also interested in Barcelona. I think that it could, if, if it works out the way they describe it, it could be really cool, especially by the way where you have to <clears throat> seems to to be have to uh, manage different kinds of. Uh, if you want to build uh, fancy neighborhoods, you also have to build neighborhoods for the employees to, to live in to be able to build your fancy neighborhoods. Otherwise, they will rebel against you and or revolt. So, if the mechanics are as interesting as they seem. I think I will pick up a copy of it as well. And I also, I have a fab, uh, um, I collect uh, games with an archy theme. And so uh, this year there was a game called Snow Blind Race to the Pole. Uh, and we tried it out today. And I, uh, and I ended up buying a copy because I really liked it. At first the game could, looked kind of abstract with a, with, a, with a Euro feel to it. But when you finally, when you realize, when you start playing it, that Managing a pole, an expedition to the pole is kind of uh, a Euro game in itself. You have to move the uh, supplies and and uh, have scientists and 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 uh, tents and and uh, try to cope with the weather and everything. So, uh, if it was a game that were about managing supplies, it's a, a race to the pole. So uh, I really liked it, and uh, what was it? we only played it once, but uh, I think it could become uh, uh, well, one of my favorites, perhaps. It was a game, it was the only game we played today that we demoed and we played an entire game of it. Yeah, uh, t uh, today being our first day, us showing up a bit late and being kind of more like star starstruck and awestruck of everything, uh, we didn't get much actual gaming done in the fair. It was more walking around, getting our bearings, trying to figure out where everything was and whatnot. <clears throat> uh, as well as um, uh, at Essen, it's very commonplace. that when you do a demo, you sit down and play the full game. Uh, that being said, if there's a game you're interested in, like let's say like all of Ryan's games, they, these are multiple hour games that people are going to be playing the entire time. So... If you show up and the table's full, it's going to be full for for an hour and a half, two, three, four hours sometimes. And there's nothing really you can do other than just either hover about or just hope to come back later and hope it's uh, open and available. Um, so that was like the only game we really got a full demo of. Other than that, like they gave us a tease of Rune Wars because that, that's also a multiple three or four hour, hour game. And of course, they, Fantasy Flight know people want to get in, so they want to like you know shovel people back and forth. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a problem because uh, that maybe that's a bit of a disappointment for me too. Is that you you just want to play all these games? Mm -hmm. You just want to you look at them and be like this is really this looks really interesting. I just want to try it, yeah. and you can't. Uh, or I guess you could, but like 
it would, and it, 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 it almost feels like a slap in the face to the person doing the demo, which most of the time here at Essen is either the designer, or the publisher, so the graphic designer, someone who works with the actual company, and it's just like, okay, yeah, I get it, bye, and like the, the it it feels a bit, it, it doesn't feel proper here. Uh, although Ryan, we did get a full demo of another game, although you probably just forgot about it because oh, I did, yes, good. Tell tell us what it was. You were completely disinterested. Uh, Deep Sea Adventure. Uh, Deep Sea Adventure is a game that's got, that I've had seen a lot on like the on BGG quite a lot, and I, I'd never been able to find it uh, through retail channels and, or through my distribution channels. So I've always thought to myself, if I ever if I ever came about like just at Essen or anywhere else, I, I would you know make a point to try to check it out because it looks cute. It's it seems uh, it seems like it's it's gonna be good enough. And lo and behold, the publisher was here. Uh, it's a Japanese publisher, uh, as I found out today, who. Um, Almost all of the staff does not speak English. So when we were trying to learn a game, we learned a game from a very, very nice um, man, um, slightly older, who could barely speak any words of English. But, but in a way, it almost, in my view, kind of made brought out kind of what the, the benefit of the game, which is that it's language independent and it's just kind of fun. You can kind of just describe what you're doing. And, you know, we were basically learning the game via sign language. He didn't have to say anything, really. We were just kind of learning and pointing out to us and showing us, you know, how to play the game. Yeah, there was a lot of pointing. Yeah, a lot of pointing. A lot of pointing and just like, you know, and, and sign language. Weird, 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 awkward sign language, you know, like, no, 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 two, two steps. One, you know, one, two. Um, and it's a, a simple little push your luck roll and move game where you're trying to uh, accumulate points by uh, drowning everyone else around you. Yeah, and but I might point out in both of these games that we played, they were both push your luck games. Yeah, and no one survived. It, both games were were four players, uh, and neither of the games did any single person survive. So what we're saying is we should never gamble. <laughs> we should never go to Vegas. And try and try to push our luck in, in, at the casino. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess we're both kind of ruthless players, right? We don't really sit about. Uh, and and sometimes I feel that if you if you try to play the long game, especially here at Essen, you might miss a lot of the the things that can happen and the things that you can can use. So it's better to to uh, uh, just go on in full force and and see what happens. Uh, like if you if you aren't fighting with someone in in the second round. Then you're not doing it right. So, because here you're just playing the games to try them out. So there's no prestige at all in it. Just um, get the feel of the game and try to do as many things as possible. Fuck it up. It's not. It's not about winning, of course. It's just about yeah, like you said, just trying the game out, getting the feel. I remember we played uh, last year. We played um, noble. No, what is that called? Among noble. Uh, yeah. Among La- nobles. Last last year we played among nobles. We 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 did a demo of that. Family and, tree worker placement game, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And um, there was this one couple people in the demo. There's like six people playing. Yeah. And there's one guy who was like really obsessed with getting everything correct and trying to win. And it just Yeah, and it just really takes away from the experience because that's not why you're there. That you're just trying to, like you said, get an impression of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, got a, I got a question for for both of you guys. Um, surprises of the day, either good or bad. What are your, what are your, what were your surprises? Things that you either weren't expecting or just like kind of like like caught you off guard. So we we got a, a quick demo of the latest uh, Martin Wallace game, and I usually like his games and I find them pretty inventive. But uh, uh, the arrival, yeah, exactly the arrival, and 
I weren't that impressed by it. It felt like a Martin Wallace game in many ways, but from my taste, I guess it was just a bit too simple. It had one pretty cool mechanic where you draw uh, four cards and you get to look at the first two of them. And then each of them had three different options and you had to get rid of one of the options. And then when you uh, flip the third card, you had to get rid of the other option. And then you flip the fourth card and you kind of created a, a road and you, and you got everything that was on that row or that road. That, that was, was like the resources you would gather that turn. Yeah, exactly. And that was pretty cool. But beyond that, it didn't really have any new ideas or new mechanics. So maybe that was uh, uh, not a disappointment, but I was hoping for more. Uh, and then one of my, uh, uh, the biggest up is uh, the um, uh, Snowblind Polar Exploration game because the the theme and the mechanics just really fit together and uh, there are some other polar exploration games out there but none of them really has uh, a, a great mechanic some of the mechanics and some of them are good but not great but this really fitted with the theme so i was really impressed by it yeah i was also a bit disappointed with the arrival but Maybe disappointed isn't the, the right word because it was basically what I had expected after looking it up uh, on, the, on the preview. And um, I think our impression of it was very colored by the, the, the man demonstrating it to us, explaining it to us, did a really kind of horrible job with that. So it was really kind of confusing. Um, I, and I, we talked about this the bad people who give bad demonstrations or bad explanations um, largely here it's because of language I think and this was his biggest issue um, and maybe he wasn't he seemed like he was pretty comfortable with the game yeah. otherwise so I think it was really a language thing so that really made it very difficult to really for me to get an impression of it but it wasn't something that I um, I would love to play it but I don't think it was something that I would purchase I think if I'm interject with that comment about the language barrier in the demos i noticed that quite a bit today that that um there are a lot of people who are they, they might be comfortable with the game but they are not skilled or proficient at teaching the game to someone else like they might know the rules but trying to cohesively explain it to someone in a way that's either engaging or in a way that's you know uh, intuitive or fall or being able to follow it uh, he was terrible at it he was absolutely awful at it um the our, our our friend at Oink Games. I mean, he couldn't speak the language, and but he was still, you know, taught us how to play the game fairly well, yeah. uh, but still unable to speak the language. Uh, we, we we didn't mention it, but we glanced over the fact that we played Rune Wars. A guy teaching the game, also very terrible at teaching the game, and I think I'm not sure, but it's it's my estimate or my guess that a lot of the people that are doing demos are volunteers, and they probably just you know learned to pick up the game maybe yesterday, and are. They, or if not, then they, they yeah they might be fans and that's why they're told how to play the game, but they're not people who are skilled or know how to teach a game. Yeah, I'm not saying that I'm like angry at these people, uh, because yes, it's not something that I'm necessarily paying for and and that I expect high quality. But um, anyways, one of the one of the games. Speaking of of Martin Wallace with uh, the arrival, a game that I was really kind of excited and surprised I had never heard of anything about this before is a new Martin Walls game called Lincoln based on the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln of course and there's just a they just have a prototype there and he's going to be here tomorrow to demo the game 
and I'm pretty excited to check that out. So that was probably my biggest surprise and uh, excitement. So should we should we wrap it up for tonight and then? Uh, I don't get to say a surprise. Well, oh sorry. What were you surprised <laughs> with, Andres? Two things. You you already said a surprise. No, you said you said Rune Rune Wars and. Uh, well, okay, fine, but screw. You. I wanted to say something. <laughs> I want to be special too. You two are. two things. Um, uh, I completely forgot about uh, Gameland Games and Tiny the whole Tiny Epic series. And I was surprised that when I when we just kind of ran across the booth, I'm like, oh hey, well, I had contact with this guy. We bought for, we you know our store bought from you directly. You know we did the business together. And then he, he was telling me about uh, uh, West Tiny Epic Westerns, which actually sounds like a really cool game. Um, a lot of uh, mechanics that are kind of like just kind of like put together to kind of make this cool theme. The board layout has this kind of cool, interesting layout where it looks like a wagon wheel or like a spoke wheel, like an old western like you know wheel. <laughs> It's got combat. It's got worker placement. I'm looking forward to it. I bought a copy, like basically just after the after like you know hearing him talk about it. Like a lot of this sounds really surprising. I hated Tiny Epic Kingdoms. I hated Tiny Epic Defenders. I didn't play Tiny Epic Galaxies because I hated the first two. And I was told, thankfully, by a colleague that no, 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 you got to try this. Cause it's actually really good. And I loved it. And after that, uh, when I heard everything I heard about Western, made me think that I was going to really like it as well. The other big surprise for me, Blood Bowl is here. Blood Bowl. Oh. We didn't get a chance to demo because it was pretty busy, and there was one table that was missing dice. But um, Blood Bowl's been one of those games that I've like have, have been wanting to test for a very, very long time. Uh, used copies floating about for you know hundreds of kroner, hundreds of thousands. Sorry, hundreds of thousands of kroner, just not worth it. Um, I have some colleagues who played it in the past, and they said like you know it's it's good, it's a classic, but it's got these faults. And seeing a new iteration, new sculpts, new minis, looks like the rules look really really interesting as well. They, they, they it's not just a direct reprint; they're actually trying to make a good game out of this. Uh, I'm excited by that, and uh, I I would really want to test that. Now, I'm, I'm first of all shocked and excited that it's actually here, and second of all, I'm shocked that that they're really being that up forward with presenting it. Like yeah yeah, here's the sculpts, here's the board, here's everything. Look at it. <clears throat> yeah. Can any one of you remember the, the the latest time you were excited by something that Games Workshop did? Fuck no, never. <laughs> it's been it's been a long time for me too. But as Andres said, I'm also really looking forward to playing Blood Bowl again. Actually, the reprint of Space Hulk. I mean, I was yeah. excited by the, the being able to see it again, but like it was nothing new. But I was excited for that. Well, you know what I want to do? Go to sleep. Try some beers. Uh, you're both wrong. I am already trying a beer, and I will sleep, but uh, that can hold off until I play a game. Yeah. Let's go down and try to play Tiny Epic Western. Yeah! Talk yeah. to you tomorrow. Welcome back to day two of Essen Spiel 2016. How'd it go today? Um, let's see, how did it go today? Um, I would think, I think it went pretty well. We began the game, uh, the game, <laughs> in the way it's a game. We began the day out with trying out, um, what was it called, Armageddon something? Yeah, Armageddon. It's just called Arm Armageddon Road to Nowhere, or Road to Something? Road to Return to Road to... Oh, I, can't, uh, I might have a picture of it, sorry. Who cares? It's called Armageddon. Yeah. It has a subtitle. Armageddon it's from Queen Games. From the ground up. From Arm the ground up. Armageddon from the ground up. Yeah, Armageddon. We began the day with Armageddon from the ground up, which um, I thought was a fairly fine beating and worker placement mechanic style of driven game, but I thought overall was fairly forgettable. Yon, um, uh, what was your thoughts? I found it uh, pretty nice. It was a, a post-apocalyptic theme to it. 
great artwork and uh, I could see myself playing it more times than one. Um, and I guess that you could uh, figure out some strategies and get pretty uh, pretty good at it. I mean, I thought it was fun. It was, it was, yeah, not that memorable, but um, a very coherent experience, I would say, when you're playing the game. Uh, maybe the reason why the theme doesn't come out so much is you, you're supposed to be building this kind of society from the ground up to rebuild society. So you are kind of building a small community. Uh, you're building buildings. You're getting items that are going to be useful for this. And um, you're, you're gathering more and more people to live in your community. And they're helping you out build this new community. But I think one of the problems is that it has this abstraction that kind of separates you from this, this story and from the from the feeling of what you're doing and maybe, maybe that was kind of the the thing we took away from that it was a, a bit abs the theme was a bit too kind of uh, removed from what you were doing i definitely thought the theme was too removed um for a post-apocalyptic driven game i never once felt any kind of like stress about maybe resources in a world that's you know devoid of them i never felt uh, a, a need to colonize it all just kind of felt like well, how can I just try to get um, one point more than the last round? Uh. For me, uh, it really comes down to consequences. And what the game lacked was really serious consequences. If you had negative consequences, it was just losing victory points. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't losing. Occasionally, you would lose like resources, but they weren't really serious things. Like They wasn't something you needed. It was just to help you get vic victory points at the end of the game. Yeah, and I thought the same thing went for the items. We were supposed to collect different items that you could then eventually in the final round of the game you would score them. But the amount, the items were stuff like weapons and cars and medicine and gasoline and beer. And it would have been a, a better experience and a bit more thematic if you could have in some way had any uh, usefulness uh, of the items. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean by the abstraction too. All right, so what was uh, something, tell me Tell me the highlight of your day. Well, I guess the highlight must have been the last game we played. It was actually a, a, a Taiwanese game called Cat Town, where you play, well, I, you, you try to collect cats in, in a town, and you have uh, 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 several different blocks or areas of the town where the cats hang out. And so in each block you have a deck, and in each deck there are two cats hiding, hiding out, and you have to manage your cards and try to uh, uh, catch the cats. It sounds more harsh than it is. You collect the cats in some way. Uh, and you could really, like, it was very, very uh, player uh, uh, interaction, a lot of player interaction. And you, could, you couldn't really get the cats just by picking up the card. You had to have it on your hand and draw it randomly. So the fewer cards you had on your hand, the easier it was for you to collect the cat. But at the same time, the fewer cards you had on your hand, the easier it was for the uh, opponents to uh, to mess it up for you. Um, and it was a, it was a really good game and a great experience, and it was pretty and fun to look at. And uh, we got to play with the creator, and he was really uh, 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 nice and 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 uh, pleasant. And it's always fun to play something that. Well, both me and Andres had it on our list of games we wanted to check out. But I, I more or less wanted to check it out because it had a cat theme, and I knew that Andres wanted to check out a game with cat themes. 
and and and, got, and the games with cat themes works pretty well well in our store. But it was uh, I was surprised how how good and fun it was. Yeah, I was actually. I mean, I was more or less sold on the idea of cat game and cat meeples. I I more or less wanted it for my collection for that sake, and. Uh, sitting down and playing with the designer, I thought, "Holy shit, this is actually really fun." He really went and went and took the trouble to make an actual interesting game on top of, uh, on top of cats, more or less, you know. So not just a gimmick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we do have a couple cat gimmick themed games in our store. Cat Tower, another Taiwanese game that's basically Jenga with cats. Uh, just cat cards instead of you know bricks, and that's it. That's very much a gimmick. Um, it does sound a lot more fun than Jenga. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's got a cuter. It's got a cuter theme, uh, I guess. Uh, but the, the, this one, you know, you you're you're, you're trying to uh, think what, how many cards are left in certain decks and trying to pull them out of like uh, trying to pull out the like the, the cards, the the victory point cards for the cats, as well as then playing like interaction cards to try to like you know look through and search through multiple decks, you know like draw from other opponents' hands, uh, forcing them to discard their hand when they you know try to plan out different things. I I, I really loved the game and I really loved all, uh, uh, everything uh, everything about it as a cohesive piece. Um, so far, actually. It's probably been what I actually think is the best game of the convention that I've played so far. Like I won't even put above like Rune Wars yesterday because it, like Rune Wars, it was kind of like I mean, the demo we got was kind of shitty because the guy didn't really know much, and um, uh, and it's 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 its very own its own beast. But this there's like there's no pretense about it. It's just a cute little cat theme game in the box that's like twenty euro, and you it, it doesn't try to be more than what it is, and it pulls it off splendid, uh, stupendously. Well, I'm sad I missed that one. <laughs> Um, I was actually, one one of the things I think is really great about coming to a convention like this is being able to, like you said, meet and talk with the designers of these games. And that's just a really great experience. Um, just because you, you, it's not just about, oh, why did you make this game? But it, it's just fun to talk about the game with them so you understand maybe some of their decisions. Uh, and you can also say what you really like about the game and and. So I met with um, Richard from Histo Games, and they have a game, Beers and Das Folk, which is one of my favorite games, and spoke with him about the new expansion that they're hoping to release next year. Um, and it just, it was like a great conversation. We we, we are in like this online league, uh, Beers and Das Folk League. And um, we talked about that and experiences, and they had recently made some changes to the setup of the game to make it more balanced. And we were talking about that. So it's really great to get on a very kind of like a deeper level talking about the games. And you can just talk to to someone that you who's just playing for the first time. So I really like that. I um, talked to a publisher about this game that I was really hoping to try out called Glory, a game of knights. And it sounded really great because it's like you're living the, the life of a medieval knight and trying to... Uh, Gain the most glory as a medieval knight with not just the mythological romances, but also based uh, at least partly in the reality of what it was like to be a medieval knight. Um, and and I really appreciated talking to him because he said they didn't show it, they didn't dem demo it now because they didn't feel like it was ready, and he didn't want to show something that he didn't feel like was even if it was a prototype wasn't ready to show to the public. Um, and it was an interesting conversation I had with him because he said, uh, and you think about, oh, this is like a publisher has a conversation with a designer and he's really influencing um, the design of the game. He's saying, I, I would like to push it in this direction more towards um, the narrative and the theme and the story and the experience 
uh, and keep it grounded in, in that, not just focus on the mechanics of the game, not just make it about the game itself, but also make it about the experience. And, and it was a really great conversation to have with that. Was there anything that you felt like um, you were disappointed with? Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, I wouldn't say disappointed, but we tried out uh, the new game from White Wizard Games called uh, Hero, Hero, Realms. Hero Realms, yeah, which is their fantasy version of uh, Star Realms. Mm -hmm. um, and it was more or less uh, a fantasy version of that game. They had a few new changes. You tap the cards. They had a much, much, much simpler way of scorekeeping than the old one. Uh, but apart from that, it was more or less the same game. And I get it that they want to make a fantasy copy out of it because some people just prefer fantasy over science fiction. Uh, but maybe hopefully in the future, the expansions might make it a bit more uh, uh, diverse or, or, or change, it some, change it up some bit so it doesn't feel exactly like a, 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 a Star Wars clone. I guess in a way it's like uh, the uh, with White Wizard is White Wizard right not White Goblin, yeah, White, White, Wizard. White Wizard games. <laughs> last last time they took a risk with making Epic as their second game because it's very very different from Star Realms and it's a very different game. And uh, I mean I don't have access to the sales figures from White White Wizard, but I'm guessing it didn't really work out that well with them. So then it's almost like this time they really went for the playing it safe route and were like, okay, let's just deliver a fantasy rethemed Star Realms that that's basically the same game very few changes uh and with really good presentation i mean the the artwork was actually uh much better than both epic or star realms and um the card the, the card quality was also noticeably better than the, than both the other two games as well so i guess in a sense being disappointed was that they played it safe i mean like they took a risk last time and yeah it didn't really pay off but i guess you know they actually did something more than just trying to like you know keep going on like the same kind of like winning bandwagon and this time it's like oh okay well yeah sure whatever why not i'm sure it'll 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 work out to a certain degree with for them you know they'll probably reach another market that didn't already you know they reach with star realms but at the same time i would have been more impressed with them had they just kind of like done something new so a little try you know took a little more risk uh Johan and I played, uh, got to play Barcelona, The Rose of Fire, about the, um, the kind of Barcelona in the late 19th, early 20th century, and how kind of um, uh, always on the verge of revolution and middle class rising and upper class and the, the tension between them. I found it a really fascinating game, and it's extremely well designed game, not just with the... Uh, I, I can't really comment on the, the design because we didn't play a full game. We didn't get the full experience. But just as far as graphic design, the art in it is, I think, extremely well done. And one of the better ones, if not one of the best I've seen. And um, that's why I bought it actually today. Um, but that was a really great experience. Um, and I wanted to contrast that to another game that I played called um, Nina and Pinta, which is by the Ragnar Brothers. They're like they've been around for like thirty years designing games. They're pretty, pretty and big. Anything worth playing? Yeah, I mean they're they're they have like a, a, a kind of a reputation as um, people really love them. I stand by who? What? I stand by my who statement. Okay. Anyways, um, I'd like to contrast that with with Barcelona because that experience was it was a it was a really interesting game. I felt like, um, but the production value was. It almost felt like you were playing kind of a much more kind of homemade 
game. Was it a production copy or was it a prototype? No, I think that's that's what they sell. But I think that's it's kind of it's part of the charm. I think of it, and it and it, and it kind of gives it kind of a um, like a cult feeling. Like this is a cult game. That uh, like you were saying, who it is. But I think the people that do like them, and there, there's quite a few, they feel like they're special maybe because because they're into it and they know who they are and stuff, and. Um, and maybe because they're more known for er much earlier games, so they haven't been known as much for the stuff in the last 10, 15 years. Have you have you heard of them? No, I can't say that I have. Sounds but like, it sounds like the hipster dumb and board games. So, oh yeah, like we knew about them back in the day. Wow, it's all about being in the in crowd. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, partly, probably. But but I think if you if you look at it, um, maybe they're. It's not a worse game necessarily than Barcelona. I think that though that the theme and and the feeling that you get when you're playing Barcelona appealed to me more and was was more evocative of of what you're doing. But uh, with this with this other game in Pinta, which is a game about um, Christopher Columbus, basically the three ships Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria uh, going, you know, in quotes, discovering uh, the Americas, and uh, but combining that with quantum physics saying that there could be three separate dimensions that existed. So in three different dimensions, they were discovered three different times. You know, it's kind of trying to find like these different layers that are happening simultaneously. So it has a lot of interesting interactions. But what do you think about the kind of production quality? Is that really, really that important? I think it makes or breaks some games. Mm -hmm. uh, an example I think you and I, uh, and I are both thinking about right now is that um, on our both of our shared lists, we had a game called I think called Pocket Invaders or Pocket Invasion, yeah. which looked like a like a Space Invaders type of like dice game, which on its surface sounds like okay that could work. You know, uh, I'm sure it could be kind of fun. Wouldn't take so long. Multiple players scoring and whatnot. Retro yeah, retro crowd. Like that sounds like it can be kind of cool. Um, passed by the booth, saw it. Took one look at it and we're like, huh, are those sticker dice? Like, yes, it is. Nope, walk away. I'm not going to play like prototype sticker dice, so nor am I going to, you know, take a second look at it. Like, I understand that, like, you know, of course, for like a lot of the like, small, smaller games or, you know, like maybe for a first time or like or whatnot, uh, getting like good production values can be difficult. But I think if it, 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 it really is a make or break selling point. So uh, I'm sure this publisher, for example, could have moved a lot more copies had they just invested the more capital kickstarter time energy effort to get and get more customized dice and then you know get that out there in the market um yeah so i, I absolutely do i think production like makes or breaks some games um regardless of how touted a game might be like if it's ugly it's ugly and um i, I, I am not gonna care i think the old adage of like you know oh what do you have to choose between like a great design or great artwork don't no longer exist in this day and age there are many many great graphic designers and artists that are currently working in the field you can always find new people here and there you can always kind of reach out and branch out regardless of how uh, how a large or smaller company is I think that it's no longer a good excuse to say like well you know we're a small company so we have to make our games as ugly as like you know <clears throat> GMT or something it was since graphic design has become so much more accessible in the last say. 20 years it's it's easier for people to do it by themselves it's easier to find people who are uh, experienced with it and have the education in it um like andres said uh, uh, a great designer doesn't have to mean that you don't can have a great design also and and even though uh, i get it that sometimes it can be uh, like a kind of a basement feel to a game can add to it but it still has to have 
like solid components. The worst thing I know is when stuff is flimsy and and uh, and it feels like it won't last. Because if if the components won't last, then then I don't really want to invest my time or my or my my money in the game. If I know that one year or or, or like ten run throughs, uh, the game will essentially be broken or the cards will be marked and and, and harder to play. So <clears throat> from the standpoint of a, a retailer, or so I know that. Anything that looks ugly is going to sell less, like books, comics, movies, games, whatever. If it's not pretty, people won't take it down from the shelf. And if you don't take it down from the shelf, you won't buy it. Even if even if you recommend it, it's really, really hard to recommend an ugly game to a, a, a customer, no matter how good you say it is. And even still, like regardless of whether or not of sales matter, less people are going to play it, less people are going to try it. And, it, and inevitably, it's going to be forgotten and lost instantly because it's it's an ugly ass game. But you mentioned GMT games. Mm. Uh, Those, I think, are a little bit more specific because they have like a solid grognard kind of like community that refuse to let them go. But I would say that you're you're thinking about GMT games 10, 15 years ago. That's true. I mean, like when I I have a very specific image in my head. You played a coin series game recently, the Cuban. uh, Cuba Libre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought the wooden components were nice. I thought the board was actually kind of ugly. But it was a well-designed game. I think the, the oh, graphic absolutely. design the design, is pretty, the, yeah, yeah. pretty good. Design the, the the board design is fine. The cards are kind of like just awkward stills on like a like bland background, and like an ugly font that's hard to read. And then the board itself is like clip art, and then like a weird filter on a map. It, it, it easily as well could have looked a lot better. Um, I, I'm thinking of a game more like Fire in the Lake, which is. I know, but it, as a it's another coin series game. Maybe because Cuba Libre was an earlier game, was like one of the one of the was the second coin series, I yeah, believe. The first was uh, Andy and Abyss was the first one. And I have Andy and Abyss, and I can only concur with Andres that. Um, well, I don't really have a problem with the with the photos. I kind of like it if it's a historical game and and the, uh, the photo material exists. I, I probably prefer it to artwork, because it gets more of a I, for me it gives me more of a historic feel, but. Uh, some of the GMT games, especially like the covers of them, are still they just they look old. Even brand new games look fifteen to twenty years old because of the graphic design of the covers. So they they could really do something. I get, I understand that they want to keep the old crowd, but they could try to find a a, a middle middle ground with the uh, keeping the old format and layout. But maybe finding a graphics designer that could just put it all together better. But the thing is, I don't think they could because I think if they did, their crowd is so specific they would turn on them and like this is not what we want. We didn't ask for this. This is awful. You're like asthma day. Oh my god, you've been bought out, and they'll just like you know be instantly like just uproar. And then you know there are no like new GMT players. It's just like the old people that are still you know having trouble to you know finance even a print run of like you know 500 people to even want a game anymore. But is it? Is a GMT that just these like modern warfare games where you have uh, a what if kind of war like Pakistan versus India nowadays? Because that series looks way better than some of the coin games does. Like the Pakistani game looks really, really good, I think. And this is this is actually why I wanted to bring up GMT because I really feel like yes, if you're looking at those kind of um, uh, counter, what is this called? Coin. 
No. Oh, the Hex Counter games? Yeah, Hex and Counter games. I think, yes, that's because it is focused towards a very specific crowd and people who are really into the history and they're going to know the history or, or and they're going to look at look up the history and really just try to simulate these these great battles or whatever but i think that i think you're you're wrong in that gmt doesn't have any new people coming into it because i've never really played those hex encounter games and never really been into them but but and i would say like fire in the lake i don't know if you've seen that you yeah i know i haven't i haven't played it but i know it but I mean, I really feel like the design and the graphic design and all of the components in that is a, a very high quality, and I really like it. So maybe the Cuba Libra and Andean Abyss, those are older games, so maybe those haven't been updated necessarily. So I really feel like even like a company like GMT, that's what I'm saying. I think they're reacting to what you're reacting to, saying that they need to focus more on on the design, the physical design itself of the game. And I think they've started to react, and I think they've started to do that a lot more. If you look at their more recent games that are not the Hex Encounter games, but like you said, they're like looking at um, not just tactics, right? but they're looking at all the different aspects of politics and social issues and everything in, in these in these games. I think... I think they're 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 responding to what what you're saying. Uh, <clears throat> we tried a game today called uh, Princesses and Unicorns, <laughs> and and I think was that a GMT game? No, no, sadly it wasn't. Uh, I think I think the GMT crowd would have eaten it up. But uh, it was a super easy like secret bidding card game, uh, where the artwork was totally made out of princesses and unicorns and a spirit dog and crowns and gowns and frogs. But the artwork was really nice and 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 kind of uh, clean, and the uh, the packaging was also like pretty strict. A blue blue box with a picture of a princess and just white uh, text that says "Princess and Unicorns" and then the names are the designers. But that game without the artwork would have been nothing. It would have been totally forgettable. But now with the pretty art and the sleek uh, like. Uh, uh, not I'm, not oh, not overdone cards. I'm str- I'm struggling to remember to remember what it looks like, but, but I do remember thinking like it's got like a nice kind of minimalistic kind of quality. Like uh, yeah, you're showing me a picture. Yeah, it's got like a nice sleek little minimalistic quality. It looks it, it's kind of reminding me of like a what's that game called? Tokaido. Mm-hmm. Tokaido, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Omachi Cool. It also has like kind of a kind of clean clean image to it. Excuse me. <laughs> And that's what made that game. It wasn't the the, the best game I ever played, but it, it 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 made it something that that caught my interest, and I could definitely see uh, a crowd that would uh, enjoy it, and both both visually and the game itself. I would say though that the the examples that you're mentioning are very much lighter games, and when you, I think that that's for me. I would say that that's much more important because the. Maybe if you you feel like the games themselves are not as substantial, you want to have the experience. Part of that is is a bigger part of that is going to be the aesthetic experience of that. Whereas maybe a, a heavier game that maybe takes a couple hours, the arts and so forth maybe won't be as important because if the gameplay is going to be much more engaging, then maybe that's maybe the, I'm just saying like that's probably what a lot of people think. Um, and it's probably true to a large degree that it's not as important. Uh, although maybe you might say, like, if I'm going to invest in like two, three-hour game, I want also the aesthetics to be kind of enriching my experience with that game too. But uh, maybe, maybe we can move on. Yeah. Um, 
I don't really I I played a game called Capital about building up Warsaw through like five different epochs like over you know four or five hundred years it was interesting it was uh this is another thing where I feel like it was a, a mix between all the things we we're talking about it wasn't re extremely well designed as far as the aesthetic it wasn't bad it was fairly simple but it was it was effective yeah sure and then um the gameplay itself also was effective but not really overwhelming so it's kind of middle of the road but i thought it was interesting i mean i don't i wouldn't buy it but you know i'd be happy to play it um and it's it's kind of it's like this mix between a, like a very light version of suburbia and but and you do a lot of like uh, draft like tile drafting like you would maybe in in uh, seven wonders or something and that's how the woman uh, explained it to me um so it was it was it was a fun game but but again it was it was missing something it wasn't really super engaging with the gameplay or with the aesthetics and i think you could be lacking in one of those and it would still work out but this one was like okay with both maybe so what, what do you want to show us here well uh i, I was going through the photos on my daily photos to kind of remember what we did we're a bit tired uh, we've had a couple couple to drink as well so we're in our we retired to our hotel room we're trying to wrap up this recording and play a game or two maybe maybe if we can try to get through it and stay awake and um as I'm looking through my photos, I noticed that you, I remember that you and I played uh, the new edition of Blood Bowl. Yep. And uh, I'd never played Blood Bowl before. I didn't play the old edition. It's one of those games I kind of always heard about that uh, Games Workshop retired. Uh, everyone says that they tried it way too young in its lifespan. And being able to try it out, I was very excited to see, you know, does this game live up to that whole hype and everyone, that everyone had talked about. And I can say without playing the full game that I really enjoyed the demo. I really thought what I, what I, what I played was really strong, really well done kind of like a mirror trashy style game uh good uh cool fun tactics uh, a lot of ten t tense kind of die rolls that mean a lot to both players and both sides um a good fun quick gameplay i, I liked what i played you won yeah well, i played bubble bubble uh, a lot and uh so i'm really happy that they are supporting the game again and it's more or less uh, like the the latest uh, version uh the bases are a bit bigger on on the on the minis, so the board is a bit bigger. But uh, otherwise, from that, I didn't really find any major changes. They ha they have returned the the cards are back again. Uh, we didn't play with the cards. I'm not really sure what the cards uh, look like or what's on them or how they use them. But if they're anything like they were, it, it will be pretty uh, um, uh, impacting uh, events on the cards. Uh, the minis look really, really great, uh, and uh, we tried to get any kind of secrets out to the guy who was demoing it, but he couldn't really tell us much, except that the game will hopefully be out before Christmas, and it looks like they're doing a good, uh, like a hefty measure of uh, supporting it this time, trying to really get people into it. Uh, and I'm I, I'm really looking forward to both digging up all my old stuff, but also trying out all the new stuff because. If if uh, with a new uh, way of uh, Games Workshop are, are presenting their minis, it would be awesome to buy some new uh, star players and be able to modify them the way you like them, and sit down and paint them and then just go to town. Should we talk about uh, Vampire the Elf and Cthulhu? Uh, if you want to, I guess very shortly. Um, during during the time when Ryan was doing a demo of a, uh, what were we doing a demo at the time when we were like separated for a minute. Um, phalanx 
Phalanx, okay. When Ryan was doing a demo of Phalanx, which he'll speak about in a minute, we you know we tried Blood Bowl and we tried um, uh, this another game called The Vampire of the Elf and Cthulhu, which uh, has an interesting premise. You're playing as a writer of a story, trying to write a story, and you're using different kind of like plot elements and themes uh, of like horror and like you know like twists and narrative or whatnot that are represented by symbols and other things like that. And you're trying to more or less uh, push the, the the actual production, the actual printed work in the specific way you want. At the beginning of the game, you're dealt out a secret kind of card that says like you know you have this character, you have this overall theme, which might be like Cthulhu, vampire, or elf, or something like that. And then you want to have like you know they have represented by color and like symbol. You want to have this, this, and this in this arranged order, and you want to try to publish your work in that way. Interesting kind of premise. I think a bit too complex gameplay for uh what what the game actually offers you know it, it should should have been a little bit faster lighter kind of card game ended up being a little bit more like convoluted than it than it should have been there was a complicated kind of like scoring method with your cards and how it actually gave you actions or rewards that we didn't really understand and the the two separate people trying to do a demo for us couldn't really properly explain so i think overall it's a bit of a wash I'm not going to talk about Phalanx because it wasn't really, it was okay. Um, but I think we need to wrap it up for today. We've been talking half an hour okay. for day two. So okay. we'll um, see you tomorrow. Now it's the third night. It's Saturday night. And we're here now, something different today. We, after the convention today, we went to go get some falafel. And then we headed to the Atlantic Congress Hotel which is the hotel that's basically attached to the convention center. And most hotels in the city that have people staying there for the convention have several conference rooms filled with people playing games, um, getting together and doing stuff after hours. And um, that's what we're doing here. And Andres, you asked me, what you were asking me why I wanted to come here so badly. What, why did you want to ask that question? I was just asking you personal, not like on the air. But I, I don't know. I was just wondering what what was it that you made you want to come to the Continental so badly? Well, just because I knew that this was a place where people come and play. And for me, and Johan, you were also saying this, that you were saying like 25% of coming to Essen is about coming to places like this, getting together with other people, playing board games. You, I was thinking today... It's a bit stressful being at the fair. You have to wait sometimes 30, 40 minutes just to sit down and play, and you're just standing there waiting. And that's just kind of fatiguing and can be really frustrating. Uh, but tonight, like something like this, is when you really can just kind of relax and you can really get into the games, take your time with the games, and enjoy them more so. Um, and I think that's the main reason why. Uh, people come here and uh, it's, it's like a big part of the experience. What, what were you thinking about it? Yes, exactly. It's, it's a time for uh, a bit more uh, relaxation and you can sit down, try, try some games and also you can discuss the games with the other players because when you're at the, the, the Mesa it's, uh, it's a bit hard to, to uh, have lengthier discussions with anyone because people are coming and going and there's all these games that you won't have a chance to try out and here you can walk around you can see someone playing a game you can ask them for a quick review of it and usually people will tell you their their uh, give you their five cents in, in, a, in a couple of sentences so uh, 
and it's also very, also very sociable. It's it's uh, it's uh, nice to meet people from different places who share the same hobby, and uh, usually it's uh, it's uh, rewarding. Should we do a quick rundown as to what we actually did today, uh, or like what we saw maybe quickly? Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I think the day began with us um, basically hovering over a demo table of Ennis. We got to try out Ennis, which uh, Ennis to enunciate, I, I, which I really liked. Uh, I thought it was a really good area control uh, war, uh, like asymmetrical little war game or what. I guess not really asymmetrical at all, actually. A little, a little great area control game with like three different wind conditions, and that at any kind of like a moment, like you almost feel like two or three people can pop into the victory at the same time. It had a nice little twist, which is that you people can kind of make peace in the middle of a battle, so you can just kind of stop the warring faction, the warring, and just like you know, we, we share the territory. Um, it's all it's all draft uh, based on drafting at the beginning of the beginning of the round, and you'll always draft the same set of cards over and over again. Which was my only complaint, really, that you will you know it lacks a bit of variety. It would be cool if like with Blood Rage, there's like two or three different decks you kind of go through, like different ages and whatnot. But otherwise, I thought it was a great little little game. Uh, thematically, it's a really beautiful game. Oh the, yes, the artwork is beautiful. The artwork is beautiful, but the theme is also really interesting too. It's about uh, being in this kind of Celtic world where you're uh, Celtic mythology and so forth and um, I think it's really developed very nice and it goes along with the themes being like chieftains and so forth in different territories and their rivals and they're kind of warring against each other so I think it worked pretty well I also liked it I, 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 I maybe think that the uh, uh, that the limitation of the cards that you can draft might be, even be a strength because since there, there are so few of them, there's only 17 of them. So if you four-play a game, you use 16 of them all the time. And then there's one card that lets you uh, exchange it for the 17th card. Um, and with so few cards, uh, in a couple of um, rounds, or if, if you play the game for a couple of turns, you will, uh, you will know all the cards and, and, and you will hopefully, you'll have a plausible strategy that you, that, that's uh, in the best of all scenarios, you can do this. But so you know right away from the four cards you have in your hand, you know that I will only keep one of these cards, and uh, I have to try to base my strategy either from the card I keep here, or I will I will pick a card that uh, uh, that I can uh, discard. Because one of the cool things was that when you went to battle, instead of removing your uh, your uh, minis or your chips from the board, you could uh, discard one of your uh, the cards from your hand. So uh, it made the battle more dimensional than it usually is. I liked it. Yeah, I think that you were mentioning that um, this, what on first place seems like a limiting thing, which is there's these limited number of cards that get drafted every round. But I think I agree that um, over time that'll actually be more freeing because you know what the cards are and it's more of like a strategic thing as opposed to, and less, less about just luck and so it's more more about developing strategy and I did I I developed the wrong strategy because I wasn't thinking about this and didn't understand it but uh, and it was a bit frustrating not really but it was a tiny bit frustrating um, because when you're doing these demos you're not really playing to win you're just experiencing the game um, so but I realized it was just because that I didn't think about the game because I never played it before in, in the right way strategic way which was how you choose the cards and what you choose to focus on um, and I kind of box myself in a corner essentially but I painted myself in a corner in a box in a box box in a corner a black box. 
what are some of the other games we, we tried out today? We tried a game called Mysterious Forest. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to check this game out because I basically just saw the cover. Uh, I know Yellow is doing a really good job of trying to produce and, and, and curate games with like really beautiful artwork and components. Uh, targeted at a bit of a younger crowd, but with some interesting good mechanics. And I kind of wanted to see this one. And um, it, I, I say it's probably good for its target audience, which is like between six and nine, which I'm no longer am, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, a game about you're, you play a boy with a toy sword and you're going um, into the deep into the forest and you're, what is, what is the, what are you doing? Uh, the, the theme is that like you're, it, it, it's from what I understand, it's based off, I think maybe a French or German comic book or graphic novel series about exactly that, like a little boy who like discovers a painting in the middle of his house and then is, enters this enchanted forest and goes off and fights a monster and then he makes his way back home and they decided to you know adapt that as a kind of memory style game. So players are flipping over cards and noticing different symbols and then later on you're kind of roll, in a second phase you're rolling dice to try to match those symbols and remember, remember what you need, what, what resources you may need uh, to try to make your way through the path, although there's a little bit of a random chance element in that in that a little uh, one die symbol basically locks your die and you're forced to take that lock and it gives you some randomness and whatnot it was okay it was just uh, i'm not i'm not six so i think it's hard for me to really judge this game it would kind of be like if i like you know as an adult try to judge like barney or like jack johnson music you know it's just it's obviously I'm, it's not meant for me so why should i care or have an opinion on it sure i don't even know who jack johnson is but you have kids uh one kid johan uh who's five now yeah uh do you think that uh they would like this game yes probably he could since you had like different uh, settings depending on how many cards you played so <clears throat> if you had maybe uh, fewer cards than we had uh, he would probably find it pretty enjoyable, and and uh, kids have uh, great memories. Grown-ups, not so much. So uh, maybe he would even be able to uh, to uh, excel at it. And then uh, the dice mechanics were were in one way they were pretty cool, but uh, uh, they had one aspect that uh, that kind of ticked you off. You had to you had to pick a certain symbol if it, if you roll it, and and it kind of uh, messed up your backpack. So. It was more frustrating than uh, than rewarding, but uh, it had great artwork, and and I would definitely definitely play it with my kid if I got the chance. Cool. Um, I would say the the most exciting uh, demo that I had all day was playing Lincoln, which is a prototype game by Martin Wallace, um, and it's it's about the Civil War, and just North versus South two player game. Johan and I played it against these two. Two guys from I don't know Eastern Europe somewhere, so Italy maybe, Big Italy. which is not Eastern Europe but it's Southern Europe, Europe Europeans, two <laughs> Europeans, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun and it, the the best part of course was it was Martin Wallace himself who was uh, giving us a demo and uh, telling us how to play, and not only that but we got a really kind of um, um, a very kind of rare look into the strategy, and from the designer himself. What does he think? Um, why did he design the game? And, and if you think what it, if you look at what he says you should do in these situations, or this would be a good move, um, it really tells you something about how he designed the game too. And that was really interesting, um, noticing some things that I don't think I would have noticed right away, as far as um, protecting the harbor cities by putting a fort there, so then you can move the troops that are there. For for one example, um, it was it was kind of a uh, a streamlined, not simpler version of Few Acres of Snow, and I think he's just 
but one of the things Martin Moss does is he takes certain mechanics and he just pushes them further and further and further and keeps refining them more and more and more. Uh, and I think this is just keep going along that trajectory with, with several new things added that, that create kind of um, a different, um, maybe even more interesting game. I don't know. It's a different game, though. So but do you have any other thoughts on it? Yeah, well, I, I also enjoyed it very much. And uh, as you said, it seemed that he had taken his own mechanics further and, and, and streamlined them and, and, and tried to make them uh, um, uh, even more accessible, I would say, perhaps. And you can also see that he really has uh, an interest in the... Uh, he tries to emul emulate the, uh, the historical facts of oh. it. And so he, uh, so for instance, uh, during the, uh, the beginning of the Civil War, the, the southern generals were much more competent than the northern generals, and he, he made that into a feature. So in the early parts of the game, the, uh, the commanders of the southern uh, armies are worth more points, or they have more uh, points in, in a fight. And he also said that the, uh, the uh, uh, south had uh, problems with the railways, and so it was very easy as a player to discard your railway cards uh, in early up in the game, and then you finally realized that you couldn't move your troops anymore because your railway system was broke down. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. I really want to play it again, and I will probably... I will 99% I will buy it when it, when, when it uh, arises a, 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 a full, full game. Yeah, I'm considering kickstarting it, actually, because it's starting pretty soon, right? November yeah. or so? Yeah. Um, did you do anything while we were doing that? Um, no, I walked around the convention and drank beer. You you waited for coffee for thirty minutes. Oh, that's right. That's true. Yeah, coffee coffee and crepe line. Everyone was getting there's like like a line of like thirty people waiting in line for crepes, and then I just wanted a coffee, so I was just waiting there, got like awkwardly going like I just want a coffee. I don't want a crepe. Just let me get out of this line already. So maybe the last thing we can talk about is the the last full demo that we had, which was London Dread. Uh, yeah, uh, it's Sorry. a game. The game's been getting quite a bit of buzz. Uh, to me, it reminds me most similarly of something like, say, XCOM, in that it's a game that has like a timed mechanic and then a resolution phase. So you're, t you're timed, stressing out, trying to like meet different symbols, try to put things out on the board, and then after that, you resolve it all by you know, seeing how well you like, plan things out during your time phase. The theme of this one is like some kind of like mystery and like dark kind of fantasy world of like steampunk, Cthulhu, Victorian era, or whatnot. You're playing as like uh, Londoners trying to like go around and like investigate things using your symbols on the on the board or whatnot. Um, I liked it to a certain degree. Uh, I, th I just feel like it felt kind of. Well, what did I say earlier? I think it felt rather unelegant un un or crude in its design, in that it had quite of a large setup and a bit of a rules explanation for basically half a game like there was a, there, there was a, an interesting part in the, in the in, you know using like the clock mechanism to try to f score out where you're going to be going and where you're going to be landing and then matching all these different symbols but then once that was over the game just kind of like had this second game where it's just like okay well now we just randomly draw these cards from this deck and you have to meet these symbols and the board and all the other components are completely unnecessary so it's like everything you've already learned is just kind of like wasted and then, then even the rules change specifically like okay items tap and they're constantly tapped throughout the time phase but now in this new section it's like you can just freely untap items as you kind of will and want it, it, it just felt really kind of like like I said crudely made and like this almost like like two games that someone kind of mashed into one whereas that first part where like there was a time phase and the resolution phase that you could have gone on for like three or four or five rounds and it would have been really exciting and thematic and interesting and cool they could have just really worked on that and ignored that second half that kind of 
didn't really fit in and didn't really like, you know, fit serve a purpose to everything else that the game was already teaching me. Yeah, well, I concur that the resolution, the resolution phase wasn't at all as uh, exciting as the first phase was. Uh, I liked the artwork and <clears throat> uh, I enjoyed that well, you, you travel, travel around London and you try to solve uh, like five plots and every time you solve a plot you got a flavor text and the flavor text kind of changed depending if you've sold it, if you uh, solved it brilliantly or if you kind of just uh, barely made it through. Um, I think that it will definitely catch on and people will probably uh, enjoy playing it and uh, it's, it's ripe for expansions and, and, and more story. And since I like games that tell stories, I, I, uh, I liked it and I will, I will probably get it. But as Anders was saying, it felt a bit like two games uh, uh, squeezed into one. Or you could call it two games for the price of one. No, I, I, I that, that sounds like some kind of like n- like George Eliot, Elian, like or George Orwellian newspeak kind of like term of trying to say that like yeah it wasn't good. No, but I, I did. No, I, but that's bad. It was actually pretty good. Just this, I think it already needs a second edition. I have to say though, I think you have some valid points about the mechanics, but as far as the experience. I loved the experience. Oh, me too. I thought it was really fun being able to sit and kind of plan things out. It just, I just thought that like that second, that last half just kind of teetered out. I think it's because, um, same thing with Innis for me, where we didn't, I didn't know the game yet. Yeah. I think playing a second and third time, I w- wouldn't have that experience. I think you'd, you'd know because you know your trajectory. You know, you know what you're doing the first part for. And then I think the second part will have more relevance because we just kind of chaotic. We played with someone who was German and wasn't really following us as fast as we were going. So he basically didn't put in all of his planned movements. And so we got screwed by a lot of stuff because he didn't do He wasn't there when he was supposed to be there. So I think that had a lot to do with it too, like not really understanding the whole trajectory of the game for, for me. Uh, it, but it didn't lose any of the experience because of that, necessarily. I mean, because it wasn't necessarily about winning the game at all. It was the story that was being read. I, I would have liked to spend more time with each of the cards. Like, we didn't spend too much time with each of the small events as opposed to the, the larger uh, plot events. But, I mean... Um, not, not a bad game, I agree. But just, I, I kind of feel like I don't think this was ready for production. I understand that they're a small company and they're probably like eager and excited to kind of get it out there, but it almost feels like you know. Um, I, I think Ryan, in one of our earliest episodes when we talked about like game design, you tell you, you said like as like a, as, as as like I think like a teacher, an artist, or whatnot. Yeah, that you uh, a concentration you have to do is kill your darlings. I think these people really needed to like cut back on some of their ideas that they had. It kind of felt like like I said that second half of the game, where you're just kind of like the board is ignored, the clock is ignored, everything and all the rules just change out, out of nowhere. And they give you new cards, like you know, new condition cards that are like your own, and every player person gets like their own individual little deck or whatnot. That entire little section over there, that that could have like been completely removed, and they could have just worked on what worked in that first half because that was super fun. Yeah, I I agree. I just feel like I had a little bit more fun in the second half than you did then, from what you're describing. But I do agree that there was some possibilities that were maybe uh, not taken that could have enhanced that. Fair enough. I see some friends over around. Should we get started to play? Yeah, let's go. Uh, We're going to have some fun.
Okay, we're in the airport now in Düsseldorf, and Johan is about to board a plane. Yeah, so final for thoughts for Westam? What are your final thoughts? Good trip? Yeah, good trip. Uh, I think that we uh, came here without like great expectations or super super big expectations, but we left feeling really. I'm I'm I feel in love with board games again. So I just want to go home now and get all my friends together and play as many games as possible. That's awesome. Well, I hope you have a great flight back to Copenhagen. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Amen. Amen. Time. Yeah. Here we are. It's just you and me left. Yep, Yuan's already uh, in the air and on his way back home, and we're waiting to see when where our when our gate will open or whether or not gates will change. So we're on our way back. Uh, here's our conclusion of another another year's Essen run. I am wiped out. Pretty tired too. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to going to sleep tonight. Uh, me too. Um, looking for a shower and. And something to eat when I guess when I land, because we're not going to land till we're probably going to be back into Stockholm until maybe 9:30 or almost 10. Mm. So today is a different day. It's the calmest day of the convention. Oh, that was totally noticeable, especially in Hall Three, the big the big publishers hall. Uh, you can actually walk down the center corridors. I mean, usually we ha we would stick to the to the ends, and even those were always crowded. But today you can actually walk through. So, very noticeable. Nice and relaxing. I, I almost would wish, maybe if, uh, leaving later or leaving on Monday, to give like the full day on Sunday because you could really relax. I noticed we were complaining about not being able to demo games because there's always like a queue to do that. But now today, there are a lot of games that <coughs> had long lines before that would be pretty easy to to demo, but. Uh, when you have to leave at like 2.30, you don't really have time to do that. We we did demo a few games today, though. The best of which, I think, was the um, Arkham Horror new um, LCG card game. Yeah, Arkham Horror. Uh, the, they did a great job with this new edition of the, uh, or yeah, this new yeah. card game based off of the Lovecraft universe and license that Fantasy Flights has. Uh, it's very reminiscent more of Warhammer Quest than Lord of the Rings, I feel. But do. I think so, yeah. But I th but I think they're still they're both very similar, very campaign driven. Uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. I've only played the Lord of the Rings, and it it felt very familiar. A lot of things were very similar with how you take it, yeah. um, actions and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, Ooh, I got one. I also played uh, Raise Your Goblets by Horrible Games and Cool Mini or Not, which I loved. It might actually be tied with like. Diamant as like one of the best activity kind of games of the convention. Great components, really simple gameplay, good, uh, d solid design, negotiation and bluffing mixed in. Oh, it was it was a great game. Yeah. So last night after we uh, stopped recording for the podcast, we played. Like uh, you escape, said, Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, and then uh, Diamant. Yeah. I didn't really like Escape, Escape the Aliens from Outer Outer Space at all. Uh, I liked it. I just thought, I think we played with like the maximum player count, which mm. is a bit too many. Mm. And then I think um, some of the players we were playing with were uh, a bit confused and a bit uh, really trying to min max things, which were which I don't think the game could handle. I do think it was it would be a, I think it'd be a much better experience at like four, maybe five. Yeah, I mean we played eight, eight, nine, eight, eight or nine, and uh, both times I was on the side that was. There was the no point. It was like totally impossible. First, first game I was the alien. Second game I was a human. 
and both sides had no chance and it's because of the different uh, scenarios that were chosen maybe were wrong for the player count mm, could have been anyway um, yeah it was okay I, I prefer games like uh, um, Letters from Whitechapel or uh, They Come Unseen games like that where you're trying it's a kind of hidden movement and so forth those are much better games in my opinion but this is a more social experience so that's a different game um, but you really like Diamond. I really did. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly simple push your luck game, but the engagement, the uh, level of inter, the, the, the kind of like the negotiation or like the the just the immersiveness that people are in in every single turn. Everyone, you're always paying attention to everyone's like card flips and everyone and wh- who you think might be moving out and everyone's player count or all, all everyone's like diamond count before the like you know call it safe. Great little push your luck game. I was very impressed. Diamond, it's a game where you are. Every player is just trying to go into this cave, or is it like kind of like a pyramid cave, no, cavern, dungeon, whatever? Yeah, a cavern, and you're trying to just come back with gems mm-hmm. and treasure, and uh, yeah, push your luck by you flip over a tile, and then everyone then has to say they either stay in the cave, and go deeper, or they show a card and says they come out, and whoever comes out splits the amount of treasure that's there. And uh, like, let's say it takes it all if they're alone. Exactly. So if there's three people who all say they're going to go out again, we play with eight players. Then you get very little treasure, and everyone who does that is like, "Oh man." Yeah, real, real fun, good moments. I liked it a lot. It was a great game. But if you push your luck too too much, then you will end up, you know, perishing. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's uh, at its heart, it's very much a push your luck game. So, any moment the temple can collapse or a traps can be set off, and then you're screwed. So it's a good, you know, how much do you really want to risk versus the reward? For me, I'm, I mean, I think Push Your Luck is maybe my one of my least favorite me- uh, mechanisms in games. But I think what makes them work is, I, I think Diamant was a pretty good game. I think what makes it work is the kind of tension it creates between people. Uh, like, oh, what are you going to show? What am I going to show? what's going to happen uh, for me it's just I don't f- I don't feel the consequences at all like for me it's not a decision it's just like a, yes you're trying to psychologically guess what the other person is going to do so that can be it can be kind of fun to do that but I think this game does it pretty well where where it creates a dynamic and I think these type of more social games only work <coughs> if they do create uh, the right dynamic between people and also you need the right people I think we had the right crowd yesterday oh we had a, we had the perfect crowd for it uh, a couple of our friends including the Tierland brothers of who designed Battle of Kemble's Cascade and a couple other uh, of our friends back, back back from Stockholm that were staying at the Atlantic uh, perfect crowd for that game yeah, so it was fun um, my surprise of the f- I, I was saying to you today I was really looking for my surprise of the convention. I wanted to get one more game, and we just happened to stumble on it, right? Yeah, I think it's called um, They Who Were Eight. I think just They Were Eight. They Were Eight. Um, Go ahead. It, it's it's really, uh, I mean, we didn't really play through the game. We just had a, a kind of a more basic overview of it, and it looks really fascinating. It's, it's Each player has two, I guess they call them gods, I think so two kind of character powers and you're accumulating 
two different qualities. I don't remember exactly. One was infamy, which was a negative quality, and one was what? Praise, I think. Some, something like that, yeah. So it's so like a positive and a negative uh, kind of um, quality that you get. Like, And they're represented by little uh, stones or whatever, like little markers, tokens. And you actually want to get negative as much as you can. So then the player who ends the game with the most negative uh, wins. But it's not that easy, is it? Uh, you want one god to get negative. You have two gods at the beginning of the setup, and I think uh, the whole point is that uh, your left guard, god you're sharing with your neighbor, and your right god you're sharing with the other neighbor. Exactly. Like in a three-player game, so that's why you want your right god to get negative, and you want your left god to get positive for something, you know, for, to like balance that out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you want your god to have the least amount mm -hmm. of points, and the other god to have the most amount of points. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty, I, I can imagine, again, we didn't play it, but I can imagine it creates, again, this kind of really interesting dynamic between players. Yeah, uh, hearing the rules set up and seeing, seeing it all laid out, it did look like it could, it could be something kind of cool. Uh, I don't remember the name of the publisher, unfortunately, at the moment, but we had found it at the same booth where last year we found the game called they, uh, And Then They Held Hands, which is also a surprisingly strong two-player abstract game that we both really enjoyed. Yeah, great. Any, uh, well, there's this gate's open, but it, unfortunately it's not our gate. Um, any other thoughts before we head to the plane? Uh, yeah, we tried out Dolores for a second time, uh, which originally when we tried Dolores, we were both, we, I think everyone was a bit underwhelmed, just going like, oh, that, that, that wasn't that great. Uh, you know, two fairly uh, prominent game designers that we both, that, that I think we both really enjoy and love their games. And we thought this one was like almost like, you know, their remnant fat of like other mechanics that they had probably done in other games but we tried it again for a second time give it another chance and this time we especially all of us kept in mind the end game scoring I think our first game we were kind of just focusing on trying to get all the cards and just trying to get as many cards as possible and as, as such it wasn't that interesting and it was kind of boring um, or not boring but it was just kind of like well okay I got the cards woohoo and then we scored and like oh we didn't really score that well uh, this time we kept in mind right we, we want to have our lowest be uh, we want to have multiple pairs of our lowest scoring uh, pile as well as then we want it to be not that you know not that low and we want to have multiple sets and whatnot so this time we kept in mind the scoring and I think we enjoy the game a lot more yeah. well um, I think that's that's about it for our triumphant return to the internet airwaves Woo. so um, we'll see you again soon um, goodbye from Chasing the Dragon. Goodbye.